Today's scripture is 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Thank you, Dr. Caitlin just successfully defended her PhD a couple weeks ago. Yeah, congrats. So uh, we're going to spend some time. We're walking through the book of First John. We've been doing that throughout the summer, and, and we have a couple more weeks here. And then we'll be kicking off the book of Revelation, R's and L's. Revelation in uh, in a couple of weeks, so get prepared for that. That'll be significant. But while we continue to hunker down in First John, I want to invite you to turn with me to First John chapter three. And if you would like a copy of God's Word to follow along, um, so you know this is God speaking, and 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 hopefully, uh, Lord, Him speaking through me. But uh, so you can see His Word, we would encourage you to have a. Bible with you. If you don't have a copy of his word and you would like one, will you hold your hand up high and keep it up? Okay, we want to make sure everyone has a Bible to follow along with if you don't use an app or something else like that. I know we got one right here in the front. Like an auction. Okay, yeah, so get a Bible. Keep your hand up. And if you prefer a Bible in Spanish, if that's your heart language, then um, we, we have those as well. And so... Uh, uh, this morning, this is what I want us to see. Kind of the big idea is this, okay? Uh, uh, haters don't have to hate, all right? So let's, let's go ahead and pray together as we get into our time in 1 John chapter 3. Lord, as we've said this morning multiple times, we approach you and acknowledge that you are in charge. Lord, we are all a part of a bigger story story, whether we know it or not. And you are the author and the hero of that story. And, and I pray that as we gather together this morning, that through your word and through the Holy Spirit, opening, softening our hearts, opening our ears and our eyes to see the good news of Jesus and what it means to find ourselves to be rescued and to participate in your story, in your work, we invite you, we submit to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Haters gonna hate, 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 right? As a contemporary prophet sings about, Taylor Swift for all you 
who don't have teenagers like I do. Or just don't love Taylor Swift, right? Dallas, okay. <laughs> I got you. Uh, haters going to hate, hate, hate. Hate, hate. But they don't have to. All right, our natural inclination because of what the Bible calls sin, because we've rebelled against God and turned away from him, we now have an inward orientation. It's been said here that we have all become what? Navel gazers, right? We are obsessed with ourselves. We focus on ourselves and, 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 and what our tendency is, our nature, our maybe theological term, our fallen condition, just what we're born into, what naturally comes to us is when we are hated or when someone moves toward us with malice, we hate back, right? We, someone, someone throws a punch at us, whether physically or verbally, no matter how long it might take us, we, we, we fight back, right? We, we, that's our, 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 our nature. That's what we're prone to do. Uh, it, this came to mind for me as my older brother, just older than me. I have a bunch of older br brothers, and the one just older than me would mess with me all the time with just his life's mission. How many younger siblings in here, right? No, his life's mission. Well, not many, or you're just afraid to hold up your hand. I was just, I could not take a shower without being afraid because he learned how to pick the lock, of course, we all, and it would just scare me. It, whatever, we had a plastic curtain and he would like press his face into it. <laughs> and I just feel a presence, you know, keeping the shampoo out of my eyes and then just all of a sudden. And one time he scared me when I was, I don't know, eight or nine years old walking into our our patio and I was carrying a hammer. I don't know why an eight or nine year old was carrying a hammer. Who knows? But I was and he scared me and I just, my nature, I just threw the hammer at him. Thankfully, my aim wasn't as good as uh, it maybe should have been. Or again, maybe the Holy Spirit of God blew on that hammer and avoided a tragedy. But I threw the hammer and he was more than mad in this moment. He was shocked. Like, what? Where did that, why would you throw a hammer at me? And all the, again, all my frustration and sadness from years ago uh, had been, just been building and building and finally came out. But uh, that, that's a silly story, but something probably comes to mind for you that you're like, where did that come from? Right, when, when challenged or when pushed, just self-defense is our first flinch. And the, the message that we will hear today is that for those who belong to Jesus, because of Christ's radical love toward us, we are somehow able to fight back with an even greater power that is not self-defense, is not hatred, but is love. So again, the, the good news for us, the big idea is this. Whatever I say, what I want us to understand here is that in Christ, those who follow Jesus, even when hated, don't have to hate. So pick up with me now in 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, as we walk through these verses together. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, 
Okay, that's been a theme we've heard all throughout here that John is reminding this isn't new because there were these Gnostics, just like in our day, people would come with a special information, a special knowledge. Oh, I have this secret information. I've watched this YouTube video or I've learned these secrets and you need to now know this. But he's saying, no, this is out there for all to see. God's truth is in the light. It's not in the shadows. It's not in the darkness. This is not new. I've been telling you from the beginning, in fact, from the very beginning of time, God has been telling his people that he is love. And he says, this has been the message the whole time. Let me put my eyes back on so I can pick up where we were. This is what you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Again, his nature came out. Cain and Abel, it was, they were the first children of Adam and Eve. And they were br- brothers. And they had different gifts and different ways of, of, of fulfilling their call as God's people, as image bearers, and they were, they, were, they were commissioned to do their work, and they would offer sacrifices, just like at the end of our time, we will have a time where we respond, and in, 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 in part of our response is by giving our tithes and our offerings, and Cain and Abel were called to do that. Everything they had, just like everything we have, is a gift from God, and part of living as God's image bearers, part of worshiping him is giving a part of what he has given or entrusted to us, and so they gave their offering, and in that process, Cain gave something. We don't know all the details behind it, that's not the point, but his offering was not pleasing to God, but his brother Abel's was. And rather than, probably like most of us, rather than reflecting on that and wondering, what, why, why, what's, what's going on with my situation? Like most of us, driven by shame, we respond with hatred. Come on, somebody, did you... We think of hatred as just, oh, I have anger, I have this. No, but if our identity is broken, is in question, we now operate out of a place of shame. And that shame leads us to hatred. And Cain went to the next level. He didn't only throw a hammer, but he murdered his brother. And Cain is an example right now. John, as he writes through this, is wanting to give the negative example before we get to the positive example. He says, this is who you would be. Outside of God's intervention, you and I are Cain. Outside of God's intervention, we are shaped and driven by our shame and by hatred. But the message John has to this group of people receiving this and to you and me today is that's not you. Okay, Cain is who you would be if God didn't intervene and call you his own. But if you belong to him, if you belong to Jesus, hatred, malice, shame no longer defines you. You have been set apart to live differently. Pick up with me in verse 13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Let me me pause there for a moment. Why are we surprised when people act like people? (laughs) Okay, just pause on that for a moment. 
He says, don't be surprised, brothers, when the world hates you. Why do we, especially now I'm talking to Christians here, okay? I'm talking to the church. Why do we so often act surprised when people who haven't been changed by Jesus act like people who haven't been changed by Jesus? I think it's this. I think there, it's multifaceted, but part of it is that we have too high a view of self. Okay, most of us, even within the church, we, Jesus is our, just add a little, Jesus is our, our special seasoning that just helps us get over the hump, right? The, Jesus is the secret sauce to really bring our lives all together. And we think, I'm a pretty good person. Other people are pretty good, good people too, maybe not as good as me, but, you know, people are all together pretty good. And we just need a little bit of Jesus salt to just kind of bring it all to perfection. And then when other people don't act like the way I think they should, I just think, oh, they must not have the Jesus salt. Or, or I don't even go that far. I just think, how could they? How could that person act that way? How could this person, how could my boss, my roommate, my spouse, my family member, whoever it is that hasn't been changed by Jesus, how could they fill in the blank? How could the public school systems, how could Christian school systems, how could anyone that is not shaped and defined by the good news of Jesus act this way? When we say that, we are, I think, we are confessing our actual faith, our functional faith. What we really believe in our hearts is that we don't really need Jesus. We don't really understand that we all like sheep have gone astray but God has intervened and laid on him the iniquities of us all. We don't, we don't recognize, we don't truly believe in our hearts that we are sinners, that we are enemies of God, that the Bible uses the language of dead in our sin, in our trespasses, in our rebellion. Do you believe that outside of God intervening in your life, you are dead. You are rebellious. You and I are enemies of God. Do we really actually believe that? But God, in his mercy, in his kindness, in his love, through Jesus has taken us from being enemies to children. Do you believe that? If so, like John is saying here, don't be surprised when those who are still dead, who are still enemies of God, act like enemies of God. Don't be shocked. So often we respond with hatred. We respond with malice because we don't really understand the gospel. We don't really understand our desperate need for Jesus and God's good provision for us. John says, don't be surprised. So now he's talking about those who do follow Jesus. Okay, when other people treat you like that, look to Jesus who responded with love, who said, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. He said that about you and me. And if we are Christians, if we have put our faith in Jesus, he now invites us into and empowers us with a love that is able to do the same. Now, picking up in verse 14, 
we know that we have passed out of death into life. Because we love the brothers, whoever does not love abides in death. Who Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Whoa, he just took it to the next level there. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now let's unpack this a bit here together. So we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. So this is not saying you love in order to earn God's favor, in order to pass from death to life, all right? But if God has intervened and softened your heart, has opened your eyes, has given you life through faith in Jesus, he has transformed you. The, the, the biblical language or the church language that we use is being born again. If you have gone from death into life, okay, if this is true of you, if you are, you have, you follow Jesus and you've experienced this kind of transformation, then you, while you still struggle like me, you've also experienced sometimes early on after, pacing, after placing your faith in Jesus, it's, it's sometimes shocking, surprising, even disorienting. You now care about things you used to not care about. You, you now, like for me, part of it, I shared a little bit about my family background, but I cussed like a sailor, like from, I don't know, five to 15. Um, as I was growing up and I just came naturally to me, but slowly as I started to follow Jesus, I remember like sometimes after coming off the playground, I actually started to care. Like a word I said about someone else, I'd be like, oh man, I probably shouldn't have said that. You know, and it, it, that was, and I have a lot more I could share. That's kind of a low hanging fruit one. I, but over time, we start to care. I've shared some of this story. Some of you know my family background. I have a lot of alcoholism and addiction within my family. And two of my br brothers are, are, are Christians and have battled terribly with, with drug and alcohol abuse. And some, in some cases for decades, and it hasn't been fun. Part of their story is that now that I, I've put my faith in Jesus, it's just, it's harder. Okay, the message here is if you have put your faith in Jesus, if God has given you a new heart, if he's taken you from death into life, then you love. Sometimes with a surprising kind of love. So for all of us in this room, I would just give us, offer to us, this could be an opportunity to evaluate our lives. Are, are we able to just sin, to hate without any kind of conviction? I believe God's word would, would offer a challenge to evaluate. Have you truly put your faith in Christ? Have you truly been given a new heart? Are you truly born again? Because if you have, then you love Again, not as a way to earn, but as a reflection, as a proof of the life, of the new heart that he's given you. This is a whole new way of life and it's upside down. I, it's, it's disorienting, right? How many of us, this is, you don't have to show me your hand, but right, when I, even earlier when I talked about the way you operate in the world, that when someone bullies you, you, you fight back. 
When someone says something about you, you say it back to them. When someone says something untrue about you, even on social media, what do you do? You set the record straight and maybe even throw in a couple jabs in there, like cloaked or creatively, right? You, that's just the way that you do it. But in what's called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, when he's talking about the way of life that he is ushering in, It's the biblical language is the kingdom. The way that things are, the world, the way it should be. In this Sermon on the Mount, it's been referred to as upside down. What he does is he he exposes how low of a bar we have accepted. He said, you've heard, do not murder. But I say to you, if you hate someone, you have committed murder. If, 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 you, if you tell a little white lie, you have unjustly lied about God and his goodness and all that he is. If He says if someone forces you to go one mile, though everything in you and the world around you says, oh, like throw off that, 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 that backpack that they made you carry and drop it in their feet and wipe the dust off your feet and maybe throw up or maybe a f- even fewer f- fingers, right? And just be like, all right, good day to you. Like, but he says, no, I tell you in my kingdom, you, you are now given a whole new power where you can shock them by going another mile. You can shock people by confessing to them when you've had hatred in your heart, even though you didn't murder them or hurt them or maybe even say anything to them. If you've had hatred in your heart, you can, the bar is so high. And Jesus says, I have now rescued you, called you into so much bigger of a life. We won't blend in. Church, I think that's part of this message for us to understand is in a world full of hate, where it's just assumed that haters are going to hate, 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 hate. When you're hated, you don't have to hate. Now, how do we do this, right? Do we just kind of put bumper stickers, drink out of coffee mugs, like make shirts, come up with little phrases that just help us to love? And what would Jesus do? Be more like him? No. Look with me in verse 16, that we don't have to do this by our own effort. In fact, we can't do it by our own effort. By this, we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Jesus's radical love for you empowers you to love like you otherwise wouldn't or couldn't. Again, let's just sit there in a moment. As I said earlier, what is our, do we believe we actually need Jesus? Church, I wanna confess to you that this week, this weekend, There have been times where I have tried for my own effort to honor Jesus. I've tried to love, not recognizing that the only way I can love is by responding to him first loving me. This is not just how we enter into salvation, that we are dead and then God intervenes and opens our eyes and leads us into Salvation leads us into a relationship with him. It's not just the beginning, but the ongoing way. The whole engine 
the whole power of the Christian life, the fuel in the gas tank is also Jesus's first love. Jesus is an initiating love because he first loved us. We are now set free, empowered to love. His radical love empowers you and me to do what you and I otherwise wouldn't and couldn't do, to respond to hate with love. Verse 16 through 18. No, I'm sorry, verse 17. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children. And that's like a term of endearment, right? That's not just like a little condescending head pat kind of thing, which I would not take very, very well. Probably most of us either, right? But in this, it's a term of endearment. Little children. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This is the ultimate, put your money where your mouth is. Okay, if you say you love, if you sing songs in worship, you raise your hands of acknowledging, I surrender all to Jesus. If we sing songs about his love toward us and then from there, our love for others, but it's not reflective in our lives, that should give us pause. And as Pastor Marcus even prayed earlier in the, in the pastoral prayer, right, this is a time for us to be encouraged and pushed, exhorted. Be encouraged that God's not sitting up there like Joel said in the confession, like a judge or a, maybe a, a, a disapproving parent. He's not just saying love, love better, do better, try harder, keep your hands inside the window when someone could cut you off in, in traffic, right? Just don't respond that way in social media. Be kinder to your spouse. Be kinder to your roommates or your classmates. No, his invitation, his encouragement is, look at how much you've been loved. Look at how massively God has loved you, not when you deserve it, not on your best day, but on your worst day. When you're an enemy toward him, he pursues you. He loves you. But then there's also an exhortation. There's also a push. Evaluate. Is your life so shaped by his love that you live a life of love? I, I think of a, a group of people, I don't see, I see some of them in here who this last Thursday met on, in the evening in the church office while I was sitting there preparing what to say, right? Uh, what to talk about. They were preparing meals and gathering hygiene products and different things to go out to a, a park and to engage people in Tucson who are, who are homeless and, who, and, and they, they wanted to express the, the good news of Jesus and to share his love by providing for others physically and in conversation, asking, how are you doing? By, by, by helping to restore dignity to ask how they can pray for someone. Again, over 60 people gathered here yesterday in, in, in sweat and maybe blood in some cases and maybe tears, right? And just doing all kinds of work to love our neighbors. Jesus' love toward us empowers and calls us to respond in love. So in closing, 
How do you respond? What do you do? Right? Do you just walk out of here after a sermon like this and just feel guilty or ashamed or maybe maybe you feel motivated? I just kind of sprinkled some kerosene on your fire and you're going to go out and what do you do? Let's uh, I want to just help us kind of practically consider a few ways to respond to this message of God's love. Here's a, 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 a quote that I heard, a very simple quote. Love is the willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not demand payback or that the person is deserving. Yeah, you can keep that up there for a moment. Love is the willing, it's not forced, self-sacrifice we use in our membership covenant the language of love is hostility absorbing jesus models that most perfectly absorbing hostility the hostility the judgment of god that you and i deserve and then the hostility that we throw out on one another jesus absorbs that hostility if you're looking for a place to understand love, God's love for us, and then from there, what love looks like in our lives, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is all about that kind of love. By the way, it's not your wedding chapter. If you used it, no shame, whatever, it's okay. But the bigger translation is God's love toward us, and then from there, what our love looks like expressed to each other. It's not light the candles and, you know, uh, turn on, I don't know, Kenny G or whoever the new guy is today. Okay, self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not demand payback or that the person is deserving. What does love look like lived out in your life? Let me just walk through a couple of questions for you to consider and to ponder. First, have you been captured by Jesus' love? The first cause for any of you who are into physics or engineering or any of those things that I don't understand, but right, the, if you have a domino, right, without outside intervention, the first one won't move. The, the first move is God's love toward us. Have you been moved by God's love? Do you understand that you are naturally an enemy of God and he pursued you? moved towards you, loved you, and now is calling you to respond in faith. And then the result of that is a life of love. Have you been captured by Jesus's love? Second, who or what is right in front of you? Sometimes we go so big, right? We think of, I'm going to save the world. I'm going to go do all this massive thing. And we come up with these lofty goals. I heard one person say that um, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Who's one person in front of you? What's one opportunity before you that you can move toward in love? Number three, who doesn't deserve your love? You've maybe been withholding. You've thought maybe a sibling, again, a roommate, a classmate, a spouse, a parent, they don't deserve my love. They did me wrong. They, they, no, they, they need to move first and then I'll love them back. Now hear me, even as I open that, that's opening a huge can of worms. Some of us come from family backgrounds where there's trauma 
there's abuse. We're in relationships where it might not be wise to, to re-establish conversation or relationship. Uh, if you need help with that, I would encourage you to see a therapist, a counselor. We have a list that we would re recommend. This has been a part of my own journey and story. So this isn't just, again, some kind of a hollow, empty, oh, just love, just suck it up, just be kind. But, but still, it's more for your own heart. What would it look like to be set free from holding yourself captive to how someone else has treated you? Number four, who's somebody you can love with your words? With affirmation, words of encouragement, you can send a text to, send a message to, say something about publicly if you use social media, uh, which I have been set free from for quite some time. But if you, you know, and so much of it can be self-focused, what would it look like to say even for a week, use social media to just platform others, to simply just put someone else on display, to take a picture of a meal that someone else cooked and, uh, you know, just again, platform and affirm and say some good things about someone else. Number five, who is somebody who needs something you can provide? Might be time, money, a car, a place to live, um, a cup of coffee. I don't know. But what would it look like for you and I to very practically consider how we live lives of love? Church, as we close right now, I want to acknowledge that this kind of love is both transcendent and imminent. It is massive. A love like this, a love like the cross, a love that responds to hate with kindness, a love that responds to harsh words with, with if nothing, not saying anything, or maybe just asking for more clarification and not just throwing haymakers in response. It demands an explanation. It seems so simple, but that's otherworldly. That's crazy. We don't do that. We don't, like, that's not how you live. That's not how you get ahead in this kind of world. As, as, as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. has said, this, this kind of love is nonviolent direct action. It's not passive. It's not weak. It's powerful but it demands an explanation because it's not responding in the same kind of hatred that is being lashed out on. Love that is so powerful, it must come from somewhere else because it does not come from here. It's not our nature, but it's also imminent. It's close. It's incarnational. It's earthed. Jesus, Emmanuel, he didn't sit back from afar, but he moves toward us. He took on human flesh. He lived in this sin, hate-filled world, just like you and I do. And then he rose from the dead and he conquered that power, that hate, that sin. How? With self-giving love. And then he invites you and me. He says, all of you, who put your faith in me have been set apart for a radical life of powerful love. Let's pray. Again, Jesus, you are good. You are kind. You are full of love. You are love. You are love embodied. We pray that 
for those of us who are Christians, who say we follow Jesus, we pray that your love, first and foremost, will define and empower our lives. And Lord, we pray that through your spirit, you will lead us individually and corporately as a church family to live powerful, radical lives of love that demand an explanation that point to the one who has first loved us. If there's anyone in here who has not put their faith in Jesus, who perhaps even the word Christian invokes some kind of frustration or some kind of feelings, we pray that, Lord, that you will reveal yourself, that hatred, even hatred displayed by those of us who call ourselves Christians, Lord, will not define who you are and what you've done, but you being loving, you moving toward us with undeserved kindness and favor, taking hatred upon yourself and and then responding to it with kindness and love. Lord, we pray that you will shape us as a people of love. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. And now we get